Welcome to Wiffle's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Wiffle. Welcome again to another Wolfels Press Box Podcast. I'm Gary Wolfle, and it's my pleasure to be joined today by the one and only Lloyd Walton. And if you know anything about Marquette basketball or Milwaukee Bucks basketball, he certainly needs no introduction. Welcome, Lloyd. Hey, Gary. It's good to be here to share some of my thoughts and feelings uh, about uh, the past and even the present. Uh, so thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. I, I remember when I was in high school, and oh I used to get the Milwaukee Journal. They had this little story that Lloyd Walton was coming from Moberly College, and I was fired up, and I go, this guy must be really good, you know, if he's coming by. And, and I followed your career pretty closely, and you, you had a flair to your game, right? I mean, a what? A flair. You had a oh, certain yeah, style. Yeah. Well, that's what <laughs> well, they say. Yeah, well, well, where, where did you get it? You always seemed like so poised, so under control, you know? I think it was part of my personality, the competitive nature that I, that I, that I played with, that I just grew to love to go out and compete. And it didn't matter necessarily, although I love to win, mm-hmm. I wanted to compete more than anything else. So uh, I think it came from that and I always wanted to compete, no matter where we were, we were going to go, go compete, even against better players and older players. Sure. Well, you must have had your share of just growing up in the Chicago area, I mean, as, as a young guy. Who were some of the guys you played with, you know, back in the day? Absolutely. Uh, Quinn and I grew up about... Quinn Buckner? Quinn Buckner. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Grew up about 10 minutes from each other. No kidding. Uh, yeah, the that. Bats brothers, about 10 minutes from each other. Uh, came from a long history of good players from Bloom High School. Actually. Sure. Uh, it was a competitive environment, and I grew up kind of in Chicago Heights area, which is a suburb of Chicago. Sure. Uh, in my formative years. And then because my family lived in both places, Chicago Heights and Chicago, I was in both places. So I got a chance to go oh, on the playground okay. in Chicago. A lot of the times play against some of the best players from Ricky Green to Billy Harris. I mean, you name it. There was always highly competitive games. You just enjoy competing, man. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter where you were, again, we played mostly on the playground as opposed to these kids today that actually play in a gym. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking of, of this as you were speaking. They should put together a Hall of Fame of Chicago basketball players. I mean, my goodness. It, it's think, like, is this the city of basketball or is, who, I, I, who's I would, got that title now? I, I, I wouldn't say that. You know, I think it kind of changes cities. You know, for a long time, people only thought of um, New York as the mecca of basketball. Mm -hmm. I think we had our time, Chicago, and I think the Los Angeles areas had their time. I think some some southern places. So I think it just kind of goes in a circle, if you will. But we've had a lot of great players in Chicago. We really have. Yeah, and getting back to your recruitment, obviously you were an outstanding high school player, outstanding junior college player at Moberly and then you come to Marquette. I read the other day that you had considered going to Jacksonville instead of Marquette, and the thing that came to mind, every time I think of Jacksonville, I think of Artis Gilmore and Pembroke Burroughs. Were they there when, I'm trying to remember if they were there at the time. They were just leaving. They were just leaving. Yeah, you know, I was was highly recruited in in high school Mm -hmm. and didn't qualify. Okay. And uh, chose to go to Mobley Junior College. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the idea when you back then going to junior college, you're going to be there two years. And things went kind of awry with the coach there, uh, Rich Day, who was a great guy, but I don't think 
I think he did some things that uh, the administration didn't particularly care for. Okay. And they were going to get rid of him. And uh, my feeling was I'm not going to stay for another coach and I'm only going to be here one year. When I was growing up, in my junior, senior, maybe my sophomore year, I was introduced to uh, Marquette and to Coach McGuire. Mm. And I was introduced to him. My high school coach, well, my first, my second high school coach was Tony Baroni. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ironically enough, my first high school coach at Mount Carmel was Ray Myers' oldest son, Tom Myers. Wow. Right. So I spent a lot of you, you lot got of time. some good coaching yeah, along the way here. Absolutely. So I spent a lot of time at uh, Ray Myers' camp and then Al McGuire's camp. And, it, and Tony Baroni and Dick Versace were best of friends back then. Yes. Tony Baroni yes. at Mount Carmel, Dick Versace at Gordon Tech. Mm-hmm. And Dick Versace ran Al McGuire's camp. I think it was in Naperville. Okay. So I was that's how I got introduced to Marquette. Gotcha. And after being recruited so heavily, but not, you know what happens when you don't qualify, then teams kind of leave you alone and go to the next guy who does qualify. And so my plan was to be there two years. I decided to leave after that first year. And I remember reaching out to Coach Baroni and saying, hey, I'm ready to get out of here. Um, do you think Marquette is still interested? The recruiting process began. Okay. Um, Missouri, Norm Sloan wanted me desperately because Mobley is in Missouri. Uh-huh. He wanted me to come there. I mean, just a number of different places. And the recruiting, pro- recruiting process was a little bit different now that I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, right? Because I'm not eligible right away to play. And I don't think a lot of schools put a lot into it. Mm, okay. So uh, Jacksonville was all over me. And it was almost like, okay, am I going to Jacksonville? It's almost an afterthought in my mind. Right? Sure, sure. And then all of a sudden, the last week, everybody's calling my mom and house and saying, you know, Marquette really wants him because I didn't think they really wanted me. Oh, okay. uh, I didn't think they put the effort up, right? Right. And um, everybody made the call to the house. In fact, I had a plane ticket to go to Jacksonville. Oh, jeez. This is the last day. How gonna... times would have changed if you hadn't gone to Marquette? That's interesting. It, and that's interesting, Gary, because I, I look back. This is jumping ahead a little bit. I had an unbelievable run at Marquette. No question. Right? You're a Hall of Famer at Marquette. It, tells well, it took you. them 35 years, so uh, <laughs> let's not talk about yeah, that. But, yeah, exactly. But, 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 you know, when you went to Marquette back then, we had a great, charismatic, smart coach, Al McGuire. But the thing with Al was that he wanted to, he harnessed us, right? You go get these guys from the, from the inner city of New York, you know, Chicago, you go to Pittsburgh, right? Yes. Maurice Lucas, right? And here guys, all of us averaging 20 plus points a game. I was a high school All-American like most everybody else. You get to Marquette, you're gonna get about five or six shots a game. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna run. You're gonna walk the ball up the floor. So, in terms of being able to exhibit my own talent like the rest of the players, we weren't necessarily allowed to do that. Okay. We played as a team. I, I, I definitely want to expand on that okay. a little bit. Just finish this thought on your recruitment. What sealed the deal for you to go to Marquette then? Oh, wow. I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. So uh-huh. uh, the phone is ringing. Mom is taking in. Some calls, uh, they want me to get on. And some calls, I just won't get on. Nah, 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 I'm not going to yeah. do it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this is a true story. Yeah. The doorbell rings. And <laughs> we open up the door. Can you imagine who's at that door? So, My gut feeling it's either Hank Raymond's or Rick Majerus. It's Rick Majerus. Okay. <laughs> he said, I came to pick you up. Wow. I'm like, wow. Okay, Lloyd, does this mean they really want you? I guess it <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they had this coordinated pretty well, didn't they? <laughs> right. Because yeah. my bag is packed. I didn't even have to pack a bag, right? Wow, wow. <laughs> so so um, he said, hey, look, uh, I'm going to take you to the airport, and uh, I'll pick you up on the other end. And I'm like, Rick, 
We're an hour and a half away. I'm not getting on the plane, man. If I'm getting on the plane, I'm getting on the plane to Jacksonville. Yeah. Wow. So he says, uh, okay. He asked my mom, so where's where's the best pizza joint? <laughs> Typical Rick. Yes. So we get a pizza. Never passed up a pizza he didn't like. Right. <laughs> we get a pizza, a couple cokes, and get on the road. He drives me into Milwaukee. And that was that was how it all came about. Did he, was Al there when you got there? No, 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 no. In fact, uh, gosh, memory serves me correct. I didn't see Al until the next day. You know how Al is, you know, very warm, very aloof, all at the same time, right? Yes, so, yes, yes. Glad to have you. Okay, you're going to go over here, you're going to go over there, you're going to go over here. And you know they said you can't practice, you know? <laughs> He's telling me all this and my head is spinning, right? Because yeah. this is the place that deep in my heart I really wanted to go. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What was your first impression of McGuire? A little bit of uh, Columbo. <laughs> yes, I can see that. Okay, a exactly. Bit, a little bit of Columbo. That was brilliant, but kind of goofy. Yeah. 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 And the other part was so smart. And, you know, he said, well, I'll get to that part later, but he could relate to his players, particularly the black players. We felt that he could relate to them. Okay, what made Al? Because Al grew up in New York City, right? I mean, do you think that helped him with his relationship with black had, players, or what? What made him connect with it, other it, coaches? Then, you know, it had to help, but also it helped, I guess, because you know Al was a player at St. John. Yeah, sure. There was a few black players on the team. Uh-huh. You know, he had his, his cup of coffee with the Knicks. You know, so I'm sure there was a few on the team. So yeah. he got exposed to the African American culture, you know, early yeah, on. Sure. You know, in a competitive way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then New York is kind of brass kind of guys, you know, feel yes. like they can do anything. Yeah. And he felt like he could communicate and get along, interact with anybody and that kind of translated to his relationship with us with us as his players. Yeah. What made Al so special? I'll give you a quick story on my end. Okay. I'm in college, and I'm standing down by the floor at the arena, right? Okay. It was before a nationally televised game. And all of a sudden, I feel these hands on my shoulders, and I turn around, and it's Al McGuire. And I'm thinking, like, Al doesn't know me from anybody, you know what I mean? <laughs> what is he doing, you know? Yeah. And he looks at me seriously and goes, you work for NBC? <laughs> and I go... Being kind of a smart ass, I go, do I look like I work for NBC? I'm a, I'm a pimply college kid. <laughs> but I mean, he, and I've had a few conversations with him since, you know, over the years, but what a fascinating guy. I mean, even his quotes, just basic interviews, he would make entertaining, you know? Yeah, and I, I think one of the things about Al was that uh, he had this ability, one-on-one, to make you feel you were important. Yes. You know, yeah. even if it was only a minute, it was 15 minutes, he would make you feel very comfortable, right, in, in having a conversation with him. The real t- I'll tell you a quick story about him and Earl Tatum. Uh-huh. Earl Tatum flew in on his recruiting trip. Uh, Al was supposed to meet him for breakfast. Of course, Al shows up late. Earl's sitting downstairs eating breakfast. Al comes right in and sits down and starts eating off Earl's plate with his hands. <laughs> with his hands, mind you. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest with you, if you ever talk to Earl, Earl Tay, he said, once he put his hand in my plate and picked up my eggs and started touch eating. it again. No, he's like, I'm going to Marquette. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. You know what uh, Al called him, right? The nickname? Yeah, uh, the Black Jerry West. Yeah. Yeah. Did he have a nickname for you? None we can repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Did he call you though, that nickname in practice? <laughs> practice in the locker room everywhere. Yes, that right. Wow. Uh, no, Al never, never uh, degraded me or yeah, talked yeah, to me yeah. uh, any, in any mean way. Right. You know, that was unbecoming or anything yeah. like that. But um, 
And I, I had this discussion recently with different people. People have asked me, I don't know why here recently, uh, who was the best player I ever played with in Marquette? And I said Earl Tatum. And um, I, I spoke, I alluded to earlier about how we were harnessed. Yes. If we were not harnessed and were able to get up and down the floor, yeah. Earl Tatum undoubtedly would have been the best player the Marquette I've ever seen. Not even close. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't question that because, I mean, McGuire wouldn't call him the Black Jerry West. Unless he really thought he was the Black Jerry West. Right. I mean, the, what, that, that was almost like the ultimate compliment at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but in his system, you would not be able to correct. Uh, to show that. What made Tatum so good? I mean, obviously, you went out and played in the pros after that, but what well, is that? Well, you know, I think Ron was the first person that I really, that really showed me that he was a gym rat. Mm. I mean, the first person really yeah. did, but they yeah. always call us gym rats because we're always in the gym. Well, that's where else? We loved being in the gym because only other place we were on the playground, right? Sure, was during sure. that era. Yeah. But this guy would go to the gym every single day. He would stay after practice every single day, mm. period. Yeah. And always wanted to play. A passion above and beyond anything I've ever seen and known. And just, just wanted to play, man. And could not exhibit that kind of talent because of the system that we played in. Yeah. We, we could talk for hours about Tatum, but I mean, what, what do you think held him back then from being like this great pro? Because he had a nice career, but not a, a great well, career. Well, you know, college is almost your real formative year. Yeah, so I was wondering if that player. had an impact on it, him. It had an impact on everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't average 25 points in high school, go to junior college and average 25 again, and then forget how to score. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen. Yeah. It's the system in which we played. And you almost decided on your own who and what kind of sacrifices you were going to make as a player. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would never say that, but about a year ago, both started talking about the sacrifices that uh, that each one of us made. For all us? Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. So I began to think about, yeah, you know, I can share that. So I won't sound like it's selfish or... Right, right, I'm right, not, right, I'm not, right, I'm not right, at all. right. I mean, I, I lost 11 games in college. I yeah. saw your record. It was impressive. A three-year run. My peers could say they lost only 11 games as a starter. In three years. And you started every game, right? Every game. If I'm not mistaken, like 80-some games yeah. or something? Yeah. 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 Wow. That was one incredibly good team. I mean, when I when I look back at it, yeah. I mean, not only you, but that front line. You know, I, I think that front line could hold its own against most NBA front lines today. We were talking about the '74 team. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Look. Well, I mean, Bo Ellis, right? Yeah, Maurice, Maurice Lucas, Lucas and Earl Tatum. Earl Tatum and Marcus Marcus Washington. Washington. But you know, I think about Gary so much is that when I do look back in retrospect, you know, we we lost the first guy to, to, to go in the middle of the year. Yes. With Jim Chalmers. Correct. I mean, that's unheard of, and these guys don't even understand. A guy leaves in the middle of the year when you ranked, I think Marquette was ranked one or two in the country at that time, and he leaves in the middle of the year, so it kind of. That was what year? That, that was before me. That was in that was prior to this, 1970 or something. 72, yeah. something like that. Yeah, right. So it changes tra the trajectory of that team, right? Right. So several years later, you have Larry McNeil who leads Marquette in scoring. Yes. Right. Yes. And he leaves. I mean, you just and even Al didn't want him to leave. Told him he'd be a first round pick the next year. Right. Right. Um, Larry felt compelled uh, to leave a uh, family situation financially, and he left. And that so, was the same with Jim Jones. I mean, Jim Jones, and then Ben Luke. So I'm talking about guys who went in the first round and second round that if they stay, yes, 
we probably could have won another NCAA championship, if not two. We certainly wouldn't have been competitive enough to be there. Yeah, yeah. So that team, I'm trying to remember the record you had as a sophomore. Because uh, that was our worst year. I think I lost five games. And you advanced to the NCAA yeah. championship uh, against North Carolina State. Yeah, and, we beat Kansas. And the legendary David Thompson. And Burleson was on that squad, right? Yeah. Was he really 7'2 or taller, do you think? 7'2", I was legit. It's, it was, yeah, yeah. It was legit. It was legit. And they also had Monty Tao, who yeah. was, what, five foot? Yeah, about 5'7". Did you end up guarding him that whole game? Was that your guy? Or your uh, no, that was uh, Marcus, Marcus Washington. Marcus, he had him? Yeah. yeah. He had guarded him. And then they also had a guy named Tim Stoddard, who went on to play baseball, Major League Baseball. Yeah, he uh, uh, he was a high school teammate of, of my former teammate, uh, who I just spoke with yesterday, Junior Bridgman. They were high school teammates. That's right, right. East, and Turkovich. East, East, East Chicago, right? East Chicago yes. and Turkovich, who went to UCLA. Yes. Yeah. That was a pretty good high school team. Damn good high school team. That's why they won some championships. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So tell me about, you know, the, we got the NCAA tournament going on right now. Yeah. Final Four is in Minneapolis. What was it like to play in the championship game at that time for you? How nervous were you or weren't you nervous? Or how? Uh, what was the atmosphere like? Um, I wasn't nervous. It was a real issue, though. We're playing North Carolina State, and we're playing in North Carolina. Right, in Greenville, exactly. right? Yes. So yes. everywhere we went, there were the fans of, of North Carolina State. Right. Right? Because this is their home state. Right. So we couldn't have played in a worse environment in terms of getting support. Sure, than sure. Than in Greenville, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But in terms of being nervous, no, I wasn't nervous or anything. Um, you know, when you're young, you have this bravado that we're supposed to be here. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> Who are yeah. we going to get here? Yeah. And we had a rough year. In what respect? In that we lost some games that we probably shouldn't have lost. Okay. We lost, I think we lost five or six games that year. So think about it. I only lost, what, 11 in my whole career yeah, as yeah. a starter. So it was a little bit of a tough year. I think it was adjustment on my part, uh-huh. uh, adjustment on Bo's part and Earl's part. Um, and people forget that we, I think, was down three or four, and Bo was called for goal tending, and Al got I set. remember that. And that changed the momentum of the game. Yes. But I wasn't nervous, and I think that we felt we were just as good uh, as North Carolina State, even though they had probably the best player on the floor, which was David Thompson. Okay, probably a lot of young people, I, I would imagine, in their 20s or teens or even 30s, probably never even heard of David Thompson. No, they haven't, yeah. How good was David Thompson? Well, he was really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> he was really, really I mean, good. To me, he was like a precursor to Michael Jordan. I'm not saying he was Michael. I mean, who is? But, um, but he was some... I mean, he was a combination of guys. You know, you look at uh, MJ. Uh, you look at Lock in today's game. You look at a Westbrook uh-huh. uh, with the motor. Um, Gosh, you could do see his elevation. He had like a 40-inch vertical, and he was six-four. Yes, and he was you know, a flyer. Yeah, he could just jump over guys. Somebody sent me a picture about a month ago. Oh, this is when we got to the pros. He was with Denver, and I was with the Bucks. And uh, I don't know why I'm in this picture because he had jumped so high, his hand, his head is almost on the rim. Mm. Okay. Sure. And so I'm like, you can't tell whether he's blocking my shot or getting a rebound. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at him and I'm like, this guy is so hot. This is unbelievable. Who guarded him? Tatum? Yeah. Yeah. What a handful out of Oh, man. 
oh man, he would just jump over you. And you know, most of the time when you're behind somebody, when you jump, you usually get called for a foul. But he would jump so high that he wouldn't even touch you. He'd just go up and get it. <laughs> Must be nice, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Another guy I wanted to talk to you on that team was Maurice Lucas. Yeah. Now, I, I followed the NBA since I was a child, and I don't want to say old am, but that's a long time ago. <laughs> okay. But Maurice Lucas, to me, was one of the great enforcers ever in the NBA. He, he didn't mess around with them. Was he that mean and nasty in college? Uh, yes, he was. And I, I'm going to preface my, my, my comments now to say that he was my best friend. Oh, okay. Um, at Marshall. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that. He was my best friend afterwards. Um, we had a long relationship, um, a long friendship that uh, is near to me today. To this day. Um, um, he was tough. I'll tell a story, so because I get emotional about talk about how good he was to me as a friend. Okay. And some things he said that were really crazy to me when I first met him. But anyway, yeah. so um, we're playing in a game, and um, I see them. I think it was Minnesota. So they have this small guard um, who's running me through all these picks. Okay, and I'm like, man, I can't get through all these big guys. He's picking me. It's going crazy, man. Yeah. You know, help me out. What am I going to do? He said, don't worry about it. Next time down, bring him my way. Uh, There's people, a friend. I hope the people don't get mad. But anyway, so next time down, I run the guy off a pick. Luke pops him. The guy goes into the locker room and has to get six stitches. By the time he Ooh. came out, we up 15. <laughs> That's a true story. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Back when think, the game. If, if memory serves me correctly, yeah. you know who that was? No. The late Slip Saunders. Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow, that's a story. Yeah, Maurice is a special guy, though. I mean, I, I remember—I didn't know him well, but I talked yeah. to him one time at a pre-draft camp in—I think it was Orlando. Okay. And we talked for about 20 minutes. And was he a nice guy? I mean, generally nice guy, very soft-spoken, yeah. yeah. you know. And, and I was really impressed. And he said, "Hey, if you ever want to call me, call me." And I was like, "Well, you know, just a really good guy." Yeah. We, you know, we used to be practicing the old gym. We played pickup games and stuff like that before the season starts. So I get to Marquette and the guys are working out and playing, right? So I'm, now I'm integrating into the, you know, to the system, even though I have to sit out. And we'd all play at the old gym and then we'd walk over to, uh, to McCormick Dome and we'd, we'd eat, you know? And I remember one day after about, uh, after about two or three days of playing together, we're walking back and he puts his arm on my shoulder and he says, uh, hey man, um, you know, we got we already got three good guards. I don't know why they brought you here. Wow. Yeah. This is this is a true story. So yeah, as we're yeah. walking, I stopped. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, I think it's time for you to look around and tell those other guys which one is not going to play because I'm going to start. <laughs> we became very good friends after that. Wow. Yeah. When Luke left that summer, yeah, and I was still at Marquette. I get a phone call, not a cell call back then. <laughs> yeah, right, call. right, right. And he says, what are you doing? I said, hey, I'm doing nothing. He's like, I'm coming to pick you up. I'm uh, 30 minutes outside Chicago. I'm picking you up. Let's go hang. He just bought a new Mercedes. He comes to the house, uh, pack up a few things, and we go cross country. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Went to Detroit. He's very good friends with uh, Dave Bean. And at that time, I uh, can't think of the guys first, Don Adams. Sure. They played with the Pistons. Yeah, yeah. So we went up there, spent, you know, four or five days, and then we went to Pittsburgh uh, to his hometown, and we hung out. I mean, just to think, and on, on his dime, 
but he was introducing me to pros and things of that nature and what the pro game is like and what I should be preparing myself for. Wow, and he took you under your wing. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, my mom loved Luke. Uh, my grandmother, uh, he was part of our family during the holidays because he lived in Pittsburgh. And most of the guys would come home with me. Yeah. And mom and grandma would fix dinner for them for Christmas and Thanksgiving. So, you know, he's near and dear to my heart. One of the last times I saw him, he came to Chicago on business. His, his, his cancer had went, went in remission. What kind of cancer did he have? Stomach cancer. Stomach cancer. And so uh, he called me the day before and said, I'll be there and uh, let's, go, uh, let's go have some lunch and uh, let's, let's smoke a cigar. So we went and had lunch at, at Dicker's. Yeah. Yeah, and then we uh, went to a church uh, right on uh, North Michigan Avenue. Sat on the steps. And we're sitting there taking a smoke, uh, a cigar. And uh, I said, well, Luke, now that the cancer's in remission, you know, like, what did you learn? What did you go to? You know, tell me what, what's, what's important. He said, look, man, all the things that we thought were important, the cars, you know, the clothes, the jewelry. He says, none of that important. He said, the most important thing is my family. And I have a woman who I'm married to that cares enough about me to wipe my butt. And uh, I think wow. it went in remission for the next six to eight months and then it came back and uh, he passed away. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Lou's a friend, and he, was, he wasn't that old. I mean, no, what was... I would say Lou probably was in his mid-40s. Yeah, 40s, 50s, yeah, yeah somewhere yeah, in there already. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's uh, just circle back on, on McGuire. Okay. Do you have a favorite McGuire story? One that you will always remember. I, I'm sure every day was a story with that guy. Yeah, but yeah, you know, we had fights, and the player would get into fights with, with Coach McGuire. Uh, but I, I, was, I was thinking about this. Physical quote. fights with McGuire? Oh, yeah, we had those all the time. Physical? Yeah. Not yeah. verbal? No, no, no. I've got, let me see, the, the fight that I remember. That must have been pretty tough to, you know, challenge some of you guys. How far, how far would it go? You know, it's yeah, not right. go that far. You know. <laughs> and I think that Bo tells the story. He, he tells the story of his first week of practice. I don't remember what week of practice it was, but Marcus Washington and um, Dave Delsman get into it. <laughs> sure. And Al tells him, break it up, and you know, I'm the tough guy here, and this and that. He gets into Delsman really tough, and Delsman is going back at him, and next thing you know, they're rolling around on the court fighting. Oh, wow. <laughs> it wasn't any punches, just yeah, right. yeah. but that was crazy. Uh, I think about one of the quotes that he, he, he said. Um, I think about it all the time, and it is the, the epitome of classic Al. He said, uh, I was a pretty good bench coach. I never had the, the, the vernacular of my African-American players. You know, what's up, bro? None of that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't have the Knights of Columbus handshake, you know, how we say <laughs> I like that, that makes the Columbus actually. <laughs> he said, and what people always focused in on was the, the, the actions and behavior of my players and, and how we would go at back and forth. And nobody focused and realized, if you look at us play, we were one of the most, if not the most disciplined teams in the country. And that is, that, that is what I'm talking about in terms of being honest. We were, we were racehorses. Right? We were all racehorses that wanted to get up and down that floor. Right. And uh, his system didn't allow that. Um, so we, we did it his way, though. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we were disciplined. Uh, him and I would go at it in timeouts, back and forth. But I know who the boss was. Wow. And I was there to play for him. Yeah. And at the end of that timeout, whatever his command and direction was, 
I tried to follow it to a team. Yeah, you, you hear some former athletes always talk about coaches, whether it's in high school or college or the pros, and having like a profound impact on their lives. Was McGuire one of those guys with you or not? The coaching staff were. The coaching staff, okay. I'm, I will be ever indebted to Rick McGuire's making that, that drive uh, to come pick me up. Mm -hmm. And then throughout my life at Marquette, Rick was always there. Hank Raymond's and I was talking about this in my Hall of Fame um, speech, if you will, that yeah. Hank Raymond's was always that person that kept you on the straight and narrow and always wanted you to make, wanted to make sure that you did what you needed to do so you could become self-sufficient. And what I mean by that, when you went to register for classes every year, when you walked in the old gym where they had registration, right? Bo and I always talk about this. In the middle of the floor would be Hank Raymond's with notebooks, right? With every player's schedule. These are the classes that you're gonna take because you want to major in this. You told me this and I have everything lined up for you. Wow. And here's what I will always be indebted for Hank for. I'm out of the NBA and a year out. I get to go by my mom's house and she says, Coach Raymond's call. I said, what do you want? She said, well, you need to just call it. So I called Coach Raymond and he said, look, you need six credit hours for your degree. Get your so-and-so up here and get this done. And I mean, wow. Coach, I'll be there. I don't know if I'd got, not have gotten that call would I have gone back. And of course, Marquette at that time was paying for everybody who wanted to come back and get their degree if they didn't finish. I don't know how many schools still do that today. Very few. And the other I part mean, of that is because a lot of times, you know, players now are leaving after one year. Correct. Right? Correct. There's no yeah. loyalty either, on either side. Right, right. Um, been working with one player for the last, I don't know, five years, and that's Steph Curry, uh, to get his degree from Davidson. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that left Duke, and some of these are some of the requirements, though, that schools want you to come back on campus. They don't want you to take online classes. Ah, uh, okay. And it's hard for players to go back for whatever reason, go back on campus. Now, sure, sure. I, Carolina was a little bit different, just in the sense that so many guys would come back, it was almost like a training camp, if you will, uh -huh. right? Because yeah. guys would go to class and they would play all the rest of the day. Gotcha. So you had the, some of the best in the best coming back to Carolina. So it was a little bit different to go back. And it's you think that's why Carolina guys are so tight? I mean, there's a, there's a tight fraternity at Carolina. Uh, yeah, that and winning, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, too. They, they've done their share. Yeah, yeah winning, yeah, man. Yeah. Makes you real tight, yeah. Hey, let, one last question on the NCAA championship. When was the last time you looked at that uh, game film? <laughs> uh, that was I, five, I know this already. Yeah, I, five we years ago, when I look back, and uh, my wife and I, uh, we were dating. So we decided to move in together and all that stuff. And so I'm going through these boxes. She's like, she sees this old VHS's right oh, yeah, like, in a box. Yeah. Huh? What's this? I'm like, uh, what does it say? She says, championship is kind of faded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, that's probably the 1974 NCAA championship. She said, championship? Because she didn't know. You played for the championship? I'm like, yeah. She didn't know that? No, no. Interesting. So and uh, I don't want to belabor the point here, but. You never talked about your career, or no, no, no. Interesting. No. Um, why not? I just—I I don't want to play psychologist here, but why? You know. Well, let me say this. I mean, she knew I played basketball, but you know, for me, 
there was a period of time that I listened very clearly to Al, I listened to my family and other people, and it resonated with me a message that, you know, basketball is what you do, it's not who you are, right? And that really translated into my behavior and the things that I wanted to do and goals I wanted to set for myself. So, for me to talk about playing basketball except, uh, you know, in, in college, I mean, what am I doing now? Yeah. You know, I didn't want my life to be solely consumed with my legacy only being about basketball. That's one of the reasons why I continue to go back to school for my master's and then my doctorate and then working, you know, um, a field where I could achieve things, you know, working in the public sector and becoming executive directors of several organizations. Those kind of things meant something to me because it said very clearly, this guy is more than just a basketball player. So, but getting back to watching the tape, it was, I mean, when I look at the tape, it was a disaster. We played like crap. We shouldn't have won the game. We should have lost by 30. Yeah, it was that bad. I, I, re, I, I vaguely remember the game. It was that bad, but, man. Yeah. It was that bad. And that's one of the reasons why it was that bad, because we were so disciplined. We would not get out of what we did. We wouldn't change it. How could have you could you guys been uh, if you played up tempo, fast paced? Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, first of all, the people would have been jumping out of their seats to see the kind of talent we had yes. to get up and down the floor. Yes. Because actually, you know, when you're playing up tempo, you're more creative. Right. Right. You become very, very stagnant, very, very predictable when you walk the ball up the floor. And so that's what we were. We were basically robots. Did anybody try to get into Al's head and say, "Hey, let's let's open it up"? Um, I mean, Rick no, or, no, or, or no. Hank or anybody. I mean, you yeah. I, obviously the record speaks for itself. Yeah, what I'm he did work. But at the same time, I I, I I thought about it then, and I still think think of it to this day. And it sounds uh, almost sacrilegious, but it was almost like wasting talent. Yeah, it was. But his success said this is the right way. I think there's some coaches that got up and down the floor. If they could have had Al's success, yeah. they would have did it his way. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I don't second guess it in the sense that I wish we had did this and we could have been yeah. better. Yeah. It was what it was. Yeah. I loved Marquette, uh-huh. and to this day. Yeah. So I yeah. got what I wanted. I wanted to be a winner. But you know, in terms of going to the next level, teams weren't able to necessarily see all of your ability and skills right. when you're walking the ball up the floor. Right. But I don't have any regrets. Not one for okay. Marquette. Yeah, and one one last topic on Marquette here. Your all-time starting five. Oh I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, it's like a who's who of players, but if, if you want to go down that route. <laughs> Man, okay, so you got to go with the air, as Al would call him, the aircraft carrier, Jim Jones in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Hey, you know, Jim Jones, I always remember this. When he was there, there were some people equating him with Bill Walton. I mean, there was debate who was the better yeah. college center at the time. Yeah. He was a talent. Okay. That's at the five. At the four, my dear friend, Maurice Lucas. Now it's starting to get tough. Okay. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're, we're two for two. I agree with you so far. So far? Yep. Yep. You're okay. right. uh, I wouldn't argue those at all. I'm going to jump to uh, the two guard and go D-Wade. It's going to be a Hall of Fame. That, that's <laughs> <Right>. tough. Yeah. <laughs> that's tough to pass on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
God. Did, did, did you know Dwayne when he was high school down here already? No. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, I met, crazy enough, when Al passed. Yeah. Uh, we came to Marquette for a couple days and went over to practice. Tom Cream was the coach. Okay. And so they're going through practice and they're scrimmaging. And I see this guy who's not on the first team who's just dominating. And I walk up to one of the coaches and I said, well, who is this guy? He said, that's Dwayne Wade. He can't play this year. I was like, oh, my God. Right from the get-go, right you from saw the get-go. that. Yeah. yeah. Now, I didn't know he was going to involve yeah, this yeah, guy. Yeah. But, but the kind of talent he had, oh, man. It was, it was very clear that he was going to be a good player. I got to so, tell you a story. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Do you want to finish up? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So who we, we got? We got D-Wade. We got Luke. We got Jim Jones. We got three. You need a point guard. Now, this is where it gets interesting, I think. Butch Lee, Dean Memminger. Wow. Uh, those are the two that come to mind for me. Wow. See, that now I'm biased because even though Butch Lee was, what, National College Player of the Year? Yeah. I was a Memminger guy. Now, this is going back. I, I, he played against Pete Maravich in the NIT. And, 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 and destroyed him. And, and destroyed him. <laughs> and Maravich was like my second favorite player at the time. And uh, it was like the dream matchup. But Dean Memminger, to me, was just just a special point guard. And then there's a guy named Walton that's in the mix. And <laughs> I'm trying to think who else has come after that. I'm, I'm missing somebody. Now. I'm doing this off the cuff here. So. Which was player of the year? Yes. You know, I, I have to go with Butch because he was player of the year. Sure, sure. Yeah, right. no, I mean, that's a good won, call. He yeah. won a championship even though they lost seven games. Yeah, right. <laughs> that year. Exactly. So you got uh, Butch, you got D-Wade, you got uh, Luke, and you got uh, Jim Jones, and you need the, the... How about a small forward? Earl Tatum. Earl Tatum, yeah. 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 I mean, we're leaving off a lot of good guys. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I think one of the most underrated players in Marquette history, George Thompson. I, I yeah. thought George Thompson yeah. for, for a 6'3", 6'4". I mean, at his time, he, he was like, I'm not saying he was Barkley, of course not. But he was a big, strong, small forward, undersized small forward. What was he, 6'3", 6'4", something like that? Not even 6'4". I think it was more like 6'2", 6'3". There you go. Built, yes, you know? yes. Uh, like a tank, man, and he just was fearless. Physically strong. Yeah. 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 Wow. So it's tough to do, but that was my that's my best attempt. <laughs> okay, so so your seventy four team against the uh, NCAA seventy seven team. It's hard to do because so many players were still on that team. Like yeah. Butch and Bo. Yeah. No, no. Well, Butch. Well, Bo. Bo was the only one. Bo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But well, well you know what? There's another guy we left off. Bo. Yeah. I yeah, mean, make yeah. him the small forward. <laughs> you still like Earl Tatum. <laughs> Well, you know what? Yeah. It's hard to, because I'm, I'm on this panel this coming weekend with Bo. And I, they asked me to give him a remark they could post. And yeah. People don't know how good Bo Ellis was. Yes. Uh, they really don't. Um, and you know what happens three to five years when you're done, people forget about you. Absolutely. Uh, but um, what, what, I'm sorry, where, where, what was the question now? <laughs> you don't know either. <laughs> so, I was so consumed about uh, what you were saying. I, I lost uh, track. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it's, you know, you could put Bo Earl in there. Yeah. It's so subjective. So, so the, the team that was best. So yeah, the best. by far the best team. Not even close. You were? Oh, the, yeah. You would have beat the 77 team. Absolutely. What really? Is, oh, heck yeah. Look. At every position. Yeah. At every position we were better than they were. Yeah. We can't say both because he started for both teams. Okay. But he wasn't even close. Jerome Whitehead wasn't better than Luke. Correct. Okay. okay. <laughs> true, true. 
Bill Neary versus Earl Tatum? Uh, not close. Okay, I'll stop right there. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah. Case, was case closed, right? Okay, yeah. yeah I, isn't it amazing, though? I mean, people don't realize that always the best teams don't win. Well, well let me say, say this. That wasn't even the best team. Yeah. That 74 team wasn't even the best team. Yeah. The best team in Marquette was the team before the year they won the championship. 76 team. That was by far the best team. That And that was better than all of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I mean, there, there was a run at Marquette where it was UCLA and Marquette. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Did uh, you ever I mean, get to know any UCLA guys over the years? I mean, Marcus and I. I named my yeah. son after Marcus Johnson. You know what? I when, The other day when I was doing research on you, I saw that one of your sons was Marcus. Yeah. And I thought, I know you and Marcus were close. Yeah. And I thought... I didn't know if it was coincidence or if no, that. No, 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 no. Um, he, he left an indelible mark on me in terms of his work ethic. Yeah. Uh, how hard he really and truly worked. I was a, uh, my, my second year and he was coming in as a rookie. Yeah. And of course we ran into each other, not, not of course, but we ran into each other several years before that at the NCAA championship, right? You know, we ran into each other, yes. you know, yeah. we, we have a conversation, UCLA, Marquette. And actually, we thought that we were, I, we were geared up to play UCLA. Not North Carolina State. Yes, right, right, right. That's, right. That was our dream game, right? Yes. And unfortunately, you know, North Carolina State beat UCLA, so we had to wind up playing North Carolina State. Yeah. So we became really good friends as, as teammates at the Bucks. And he worked so damn hard, man. I thought about it when I had my last son. I was like, man, if he has the work ethic of Marcus Johnson, he'll be successful. Wow, what a great story. And, and that's why you named him because of Marcus's yeah. work ethic. Yeah. That you wanted that to yeah. carry over him yeah. to your son. Yeah. And my son was, was a good athlete. You know, he's a top 100 football player coming out yeah. of high school. And yeah. Recruited by everybody and he went to University of Michigan. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> not bad, especially when Notre Dame recruited you in Oklahoma and all that. Yes, stuff. yes. So, yeah. You know what? A couple weeks ago, I was listening to a Bucks uh, broadcast and Marcus was talking about his days as a Bucks player. Uh-huh. And he specifically mentioned you that when he got it rolling, you came up to him get and said, Get some more. Get some yeah. more. That's what he said, get, get some, some more. more. Like you were prodding him to take that, it that was to our, that was that's what That was our, our, our exchange, man. Because he, to me, he was doing it so easily. And I didn't learn this till many years later that Marcus cross-trained long before anybody I ever heard of. Oh, okay. is that right? Yeah, so he'd gone to the track coach, a brawl jumper. Yeah. So teach him how to explode. Oh, that's He went to the volleyball coach to teach him how, going after loose balls, how to slide on your chest without getting affecting your hands, breaking a finger or springing yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Right? So he was doing this stuff long before uh, you even, I even heard of it. And he did this on his own. He didn't yeah, need anybody. Nobody yeah. was doing it. He was yeah. just going to these yeah. people. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. It's uh, pretty interesting. Well, that, that's a good segue into the Bucks situation here. You got drafted by the Bucks. Well, first of all, what was your reaction when you got drafted by the Bucks after having played a market? I was ambivalent. Uh, I was ambivalent on draft day because really? I was projected to be a late first, early second round. Okay. And uh, I was the 40, 40, 42nd pick. Yes, some of them that, yeah. Yeah. And so I was disappointed, not of the Bucks. Yeah. That I didn't go higher. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I started thinking about, man, if I could have got up and down, you know, so. Sure. There was a comfort. Uh, initially because it was going to be in Milwaukee. And then when I really sat down and settled in, I was like, I'm not going to make this team. They had like four or five guards ahead of me. Who were the guards at the time? Jim Price, Gary Brokaw, 
Yeah, and they drafted Quinn number one. They brought yes. in Brian Winters. <laughs> wow, you came into a loaded uh, exactly. situation. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not gonna make this team. Wow. But I'm going to play, you know. And uh, they had a plan. Wayne Emery, so my man Wayne. Love that guy. But great, great human being. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he had a plan, and he traded those guys and what have you. And uh, I was able to work my way in. <laughs> work my way in. Yeah, even, right. Even against Costello, the late Costello, who was our coach, because he wanted me out of there. He did? Yeah. I th- Tony Spino, uh, our trainer back then. Yeah, I remember him. Well, Tony told me I got hurt in, 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 in training camp. Junior Bridgman and I ran into each other. My calf was all messed up. Huh. Tony Spino tells me the story. He said, you know what Costello would say every day when he'd come in about you? So now tell me, he said, he would say, how healthy is Walton? I said, man, he's not, he's not healthy yet, man. He's, he's got to, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a while before we get him back. He's got to get that guy ready so I can cut his ass. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. You, you know what? I mean, we could talk about this topic forever. Coaches that tell athletes one thing and then say something totally different to another one. You know what I mean? But I mean, but they know they got to motivate these guys, and they, and they got to lie. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, they, they can't, you know. And you know what happened with Costello? Then he gets canned. Yes. Right? And Nelly comes in. I was at that game. I, I was in college at the time, and we I had a, a journalism course, sports journalism course, and we were assigned to do a feature, and my feature, remember Clyde Mays? Clyde Mays, yeah. 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 I mean, we got we got different people, right? I got Clyde Mays. Okay. He was a rookie, a second-round pick. Yeah, was Furman? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Furman. Yes. Yeah. But uh, lo and behold, that's when they were making the change, you know? Nelly's yeah. first game. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, it was a dream come true. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, I wanted to make it to the NBA. That was my dream. I worked my butt off to get there, and, and to get there was a dream realized, man. So, um, you know, man, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a high that you can't believe, man. Sure, sure. Right? I mean, I'm playing with the best in the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At that time, it was less than 350 players. Right. The yes. Best in the world. My wife and I always get into this debate because um, she's a nurse by trade and she's getting a doctor now. But okay. I always, as she always tries to tell me something about basketball. I'm like, <laughs> honey. <laughs> with the best in the world. Exactly. Only 350. Good, good luck with that. At her hospital, I think they got like a thousand nurses. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm at the cream of the cream. <laughs> exactly. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, I mean, we could talk forever. But what Don Nelson was larger than life when he was with the Bucks. I mean, his legend kind of grew as the time went on. And uh, he kind of ruled that organization later on. But your impressions now, again, you know, he's just breaking into the head coaching profession. What were your thoughts? Well, let me tell you this. Um, the first time I uh, I read Connie Hawkins' book, okay? Yes. Senior in high school, I read his book. He went to Iowa. And he talks about this player at Iowa who was from Iowa. Sure, and you know where you're Yes, right. yes. So that was the first real uh, introduction to me. Do you remember, I, I, I refresh my memory, what did the Hawks say about uh, Don Nelson at that time? Well, he said he had to compete against me. It was the first time he ever uh, played against a white guy who was good with a different kind of way. Oh. Uh, Connie Hawkins came off the streets of New York, the playground. Sure, sure. The Rucker, right? Yeah, legend so too. So a lot of flair, Yeah, right? yeah. Well, Nelly wasn't flair. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. He, he was, was a cornfield fan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a plotter. Right, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So uh, he talked about that. 
but um, by the time Nelly became our assistant coach, I'd seen him with the Celtics and I knew who he was, all the championships and that kind of stuff. When he fired Costello, I remember it to the thing. And Nelly came into practice that day, that next morning. Yeah. He walks in the door and he says to all of us, take a seat. We took a seat. We said, the shit has hit the fan. And there's a new share. Okay, but he told us all the good stuff, like, hey, man, we're rebuilding, uh, but I want everybody that comes in here to play you guys to know this we're not a pancake, we're not a doormat, we're going to fight. This, we're going to get in better shape and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we believed him, and we bought into it. And that began his legacy. That began to change the culture of the Bucks. Did you envision him being one of the? He is the all-time winningest coach, right? Is that, no way did I envision. But we, you know, we later began to see how creative and innovative he was with the different teams that he had and different yeah. personnel. You know, people talk about how did it come to be the point forward. And well, it was Nelly, but it wasn't Nelly. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was uh, the Bucks being down. After that left, like two years, they were down their guards. And they're in New Jersey playing, and Nelly says to Marcus Johnson, I'm going to start you at uh, point guard. And so, oh, Nelly, Nelly brought it up? Yeah, I'm going to start you at yeah. point guard. Yeah. But then Marcus followed by saying, oh, you mean like a point forward? Okay, okay. He says, yeah, you're going to be, he says, point forward though, right? Yeah. He says, yeah, and that's how the term came about. So so there wasn't a point guard, I mean, was the point guard hurt? Yeah, they were hurt. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's how it came about. That's how it came about. Yeah, but Nelly was always looking for mixed matches yes. uh, in games, right? Even when creative person, coach. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Very creative and innovative kind of coach. I and he's still creative him. today. Uh, very much so. <laughs> uh, I spoke to him about uh, about a month and a half ago because I'm, I'm writing a book and Nelly's going to be in the book. Yeah, obviously. yeah. So, you know, he's doing well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wonder when he's growing up uh, in Iowa if he ever thought that at the rape right age of, of 60, whatever it is, he'd be living in 70. Oh, or 70, living in Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. No, with a marijuana farm or plantation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm sure he never thought of that. You know, I don't want to spend too much time with Nelly, but one of the things that a player told me is that Nelly, when he wanted to do some team bonding, didn't say, hey, let's go to church or let's go to the movies or let's go bowling. He said, let's go to a bar. <laughs> Did you ever hear that? It was, it was easy to find Nelly in a bar after a game. <laughs> yes. It was very, very easy to find him there. Well, that's why I think everybody embraced him in Milwaukee. I mean, if they're, you know, they didn't call it the beer capital of the world for no, nothing. No, and, no. And he was like one of the guys. Yeah, I mean, to, initially, yeah, he was. To, to, to people in Wisconsin, anyways, you know. Yeah, but another thing you think about, you know, his, his idea after, after his last year with the Celtics was to become an NA, NA, uh, NBA rep. So yes, I heard I that. was out in the summer league, and Nelly was actually rapping. <laughs> and Costello asked him to join his staff. Yeah. And that's when he made the transition going into training camp that he was yeah. joining the staff. You know what? I heard, actually, it was Wayne Embry that persuaded Costello into taking. Into taking? That could yeah. very well yeah, be Yeah, true. yeah, yeah. Very well be and, and, I mean, that, that would be typical Wayne, you know? I mean, yeah. Wayne was ahead of his time, too, in his creative thinking. Oh, man. Absolutely. I mean, uh, just a quick commentary on, on Sidney Moncrief. I always thought, next to Michael Jordan, maybe the best two-way guy. He, in fact, the other day I thought it was the best two-way guards I've ever seen. Okay? Jordan was at the top. You put Walt Frazier in there, maybe. Uh, Jerry Jerry West has got to be in there. Dwayne Wade. And then I thought Sidney, you know? 
uh, well, guys that could play both ends of the floor. Well, none of them won Defensive Player of the Year two years in a row. Correct. Except Sydney. Correct. Right? Yes. So you're Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive, first of all, to win Defensive Player of the Year from the guard position is unheard of. I don't know any other guards that were defensive players. Yeah, I'm not saying there weren't any. Yeah, there are about three or four. There? They're, yeah. Okay. Uh, Gary Payton was one of them. Okay, yeah. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. DP the glove. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But that's not uh, normal, right? Right, exactly. No. Player of the year. And to win it back-to-back, come on, man. It, it's, it's a lot of hard work, and you go on both ends of the floor. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, the one thing about Sydney was he always seemed like a classy guy. Yes? I was just with him um, last week. Yeah. That class has not diminished one bit. Still the same way. Very classy, unassuming kind of guy. Very warm kind of guy. That's Sidney Montreux. Wow. Yeah. So, from my sources now, this is about three days before they make a formal announcement. I've been told that he is going to go into the Hall of Fame. Your reaction to that? I mean, if it does go down, and I, I, I'm assuming it does. So. He's deserving, yeah. first and foremost. He's, he's, he's deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. I always think about things like this, like what takes people so long? So, um, not knowing and understanding what the criteria is for people getting there. Um, I'm glad they found, if it's true, I'm glad they finally came to their senses <laughs> to induct this guy because uh, he, he, he deserves it. He was a hell of a player on both ends of the floor. And uh, there were two other bucks on the uh, Balachak segment, and uh, of course Marcus. And you, you, I assume you're a Marcus Johnson Hall of Fame kind of guy. Absolutely. Um, I just posted a picture I was sharing with you on uh, my LinkedIn page of Marcus and I from uh, his uh, retirement uh, ceremony. And uh, Dr. J chimed in and said that Marcus was the best uh, small forward he played against in his career. Wow. That's you think about right. You think about the other small forwards. And for Dr. J to say that. This so guy, you're talking about Bird, Bernard King, I mean, just off the top of my head, you know? Those, those are Hall of Famers. Yeah. Right. And uh, Marcus is more than deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, look at the numbers, look at the highlights. Again, we can't really say because we don't know what the criteria is, but he deserves to be there as well. Yeah, absolutely. One last NBA question. You, you follow the NBA pretty closely. Who do you like uh, going forward in the playoffs? Uh, how, how do you see that unfolding? I don't think you can go against the perennial winners, it seems like. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then we're, doing, we're doing this interview uh, a, a night after Golden State just annihilated Denver. Yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to see that, Lloyd. But, yeah. And they, you, you, know, know, you, you, you hear the talk about Denver is going to be so so much better this year. And they are. Yeah. But you still see uh, how much distance there between Golden State and the second team in Denver, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of room back there. I would love to see uh, the Milwaukee Bucks win the East mm-hmm. for various reasons. Obviously, uh, you know, being a Bucks draft team, sure, uh, I would love to see them there. But they have a good coach and they have a good team. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't they win it yeah. win the East? Right? That Eastern Conference is tough, though. I mean, it's tough. It, it reminds me of back in the day when Philadelphia, Boston, and Milwaukee oh, were absolutely. the big three. And, and now you got Toronto in the mix. That. But you want it to be tough, right? And yes, you, you want yes. it to be tough because that prepares you, obviously, for 
the championship Correct. round, Correct. right? Yeah. You want to have to fight. You want to go to the limit. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, it says something about, you know, our health we going to be, are we going to be tired? But it prepares you. Anybody that gets to the NBA championship is not going to be tired. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, we'll wrap it up on this front. Uh, people are, are uh, curious as to what Lloyd Walton is doing today. I know you're a career counselor, counselor for the National Basketball Players Association. And I can certainly see why. I, I think you're perfect for that job. You're very outgoing. You're just a delight to talk to. You, you, you got a sense of humor. I mean, it's like almost the perfect role for you. And well, just tell us real quickly uh, about your job. And I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Um, time goes by so fast, Gary. I, this is my 20th year in this role. Is that right? Yeah. And it was a while, but it it's is 20 years, yeah. man, yeah. in this capacity. My number one goal and my number one passion in this capacity is taking players from where they are to where they want and need to be in their post-careers. I don't care how many years you play, at some point in time, the ball is going to stop bouncing. And you're going to have to go to the next phase of your life. Yeah. How well prepared are you for that inevitable transition? It's my job. is to help you figure it out and put you on that track. Right? That you will be in the, in the place that you want to be, in the industry that you want to be when you're done. Yeah. And you can still have a, a sufficient life to take care of your family and take care of yourself. Um, so I'm passionate about that. Other thing I want to mention that you know I'm writing a book. It will be out in hopefully August first. And uh, have you picked out a title for it the yet? The title is First and Forty. Uh, first and Forty. Yeah. And the reason behind that? I was the first male born in my family in 40 years. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, and so it will. It's a memoir from from being born. Uh, all the way until I get my, well, I got my doctor's degree. Oh, okay. So it's awesome. a realization, you know, kind of thing, uh, uh, revelation, uh, uh, reverence, uh, destruction, yeah. and then a reinvention. Uh, for me. That'd be really good. Yeah, yeah. Part. And when do you expect that to be out again? August first. August first. August first. That's wow. why I've mentioned talking to so many people like Junior and, and, and Nelly because they're part of us and Wayne. All of them are going to be in the book. Wow, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't either. Yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, 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 me, that's not, I mean, anybody that followed basketball during that time in particular are going to be fascinating. And think about those people that we're talking about. Wayne Emery, the first African-American general manager yes. in the NBA. You think about Don Nelson, right? The winningest coach in NBA history, yes. right? You think about Junior Bridgman and the accomplishments and success he's had since he stopped playing. Is he one of the all-time greats or what? Without a doubt. Are you talking about, I know we had a great, seriously, I, I, know, I know other people might want to say this about them, but such a great group of guys. We were together last week, too. You would not know this guy is worth almost a million dollars, right? Yeah. He comes in so Very so, humble. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he, he's, he's, he's one of my all-time favorite guys. Period. He called me yesterday and he, you know, something that was supposed to happen from his end. He was like, oh, I can't believe this didn't take place. Let me take care of it for you. I mean, wow. it was a billion dollars. Wow. I'm like, Junior, it's, it's no big deal. It happens when it happens. So A true teammate, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I always make this joke and tell him this. I, I did a, a fireside chat with him. But I always tell him when we're in front of a crowd, if I'd known he'd be this successful, I would have passed him the ball more. <laughs> <laughs> And he, and he would have shot it. And he would have shot it. That's the part. I got to tell him that. We're going to be together. At the he he wouldn't have turned it down. But I got I to add that part, too. <laughs> uh, 
Well, Lloyd, an absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you for uh, joining me today. And I know you had a little commute yourself to get here. And it was great, greatly appreciated. We could talk, honest guy. We we started talking what about a week or two ago yeah, about yeah. Junior uh, Cindy Boncrease being on the ballot. We've yeah. talked several times since, and like I said, everyone's been just a fun time. So. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope the people in Milwaukee enjoy uh, what we talked about today. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, all of you, for uh, tuning in, and look forward to uh, talking to you next time. Take care. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWuffle and Wuffle'sPressBox.com.